everybody, this is Rob, formerly known as Jim. And Jeremy. And we are on show number 44. Today we're talking about Def Leppard, a documentary we just watched. All about Def Leppard. But before we get to our main topic, we're going to start with some albums that are turning 50, which we like to do. And this is from June... 1973, we have The Smoker You Drink, The Player You Get, Joe Walsh. Oh, wow. Okay. This is his second studio album, and it was released, of course, in 1973 by Dunhill Records, and was also released in Germany. Proved to be his commercial breakthrough, largely on the strength of the top 40 hit single, Rocky Mountain Way. Mm -hmm. Uh, which helped propel the album into the top 10. And the album is credited only to Joe Walsh, even though he utilized three members from a band called Barnstorm. After the success of this album, Joe continued to make albums as a solo artist, as we know. And the title is a play on words. The higher you get, the better you play. (laughs) And it kind of... Reminds me of Aria Speedwagon. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Sort of like that. <laughs> I don't know. Now we got Smokey Robinson from uh, June 19th, 1973. And this is his debut solo album. And it was his first solo record after his departure from the Miracles. Uh, the album featured the single Sweet Harmony, which was his tribute to his former singing partners in the Miracles. And then I have a couple albums turning 40. We got June 1st, 1983. We got Speaking in Tongues by the Talking Heads. That's turning 40. It's their fifth studio album uh, after their split with producer Brian Eno and a short hiatus which allowed the individual members to pursue side projects. Recording began in 1982. And it became the band's commercial breakthrough. Produced the band's Soul U.S. Top 10 hit, Burning Down the House. We got Stevie Nicks, The Wild Heart. Came out June 10th, 1983. And this is her second solo album. And featured songs Stand Back and I Will Run to You with Tom Petty. Now this is, I think, the lesser known Tom Petty song. Yeah. You must have seen me kind of turn my head like, hmm, which song is that? But this was actually the second song that she did with Tom Petty. The first one was on her first solo album, which was Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Yeah, which everybody knows that one. Yeah. Then we got, um, this is an album that I had owned, was Synchronicity by The Police. Oh, it's a good album. June 17th, 1983. It's the fifth and final studio album by the English rock band The Police. And it's the band's most successful release. You had Every Breath You Take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, and Synchronicity 2. Mm-hmm. At the 1984 Grammy Awards, the album was nominated for a total of five awards, including Album of the Year, and it won three of those. At the time of its release of, and following the police tour, the police's popularity was at such a high level that they were arguably, according to the BBC, and The Guardian, the biggest band in the world at the time. It's one of those bands. And then they broke up. One of the bigger what-ifs in music. 
Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> they were phenomenal and just could not get along. They tried a reunion tour, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, 10, 15 years yeah. ago, and they couldn't even complete that. Yeah. <laughs> so they haven't recorded. That was 40 years ago. Yeah. Be cool if, yeah, they could have patched things up. Mind-blowing. And now we're going to talk about some new albums. I have two that are out right now. And first one is a band called Boy Genius. Okay. It's called The Record. That came out March 31st. It's kind of a super group, but I call it a super group of moody girls. <laughs> it's uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, and Julian Baker, who I've listened to. Um, I actually have a playlist uh, <laughs> my Apple Music called Mostly Moody Girl Albums. <laughs> and it's that just, it's all the same tone, you know, the same, it's moody. You know, it's mm-hmm. like Phoebe Bridgers, I always said, she could sing anything and it sounds depressing. She could sing, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, be happy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So my favorite song on the album is Not Strong Enough. And this song reminds me of, I don't know if you know, Jeremy, Every Day is Like Sunday by Morrissey. Mm, doesn't sound familiar, no. Okay. But it reminds me of that song. Uh, and it's unique because it features all three of them, not at the same time. Phoebe starts out with the lyrics. They all sing the chorus, I think. And then Lucy sings the next verses. Mm-hmm. And then Julian sings towards the end of the song. Okay. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. And then we got, uh, this is an album I sent to Jeremy. Ian Hunter, mm-hmm. who was 83 years old. Yeah. Uh, he was in Mott the Hoople. And he's still one of the young dudes. Yeah. Yeah, he did uh, All the Young Dudes, which is actually written by David Bowie. Yep, I know. <laughs> and I think we talked about that before. Yeah. He wrote Once Bit and Twice Shy. Okay. And he wrote Cleveland Rocks. All right. But his voice has gotten... He didn't have the most angelic voice, you know. But his voice has gotten a little rough. And I think he... I kind of think he's somewhere between Keith Richards and Bob Dylan now. Okay. Know, a little bit. Okay. But this album is pretty good. It just came out, it came out April 21st. And we got a lot of guest stars on here. We got Joe Elliott, who we'll be talking about from Def Leppard, mm-hmm. Slash, Ringo Starr, Mike Campbell from The Heartbreakers, Johnny Depp, and Jeff Beck are on, <laughs> I think they're on one song. Uh, Taylor Hawkins, uh, the late Taylor Hawkins, Todd Rundgren, Duff McKagan, and the guitarist for Aerosmith, Brad, I think it's Whitford, Whitford. Mm-hmm. Whitford. Yeah. Yep. So check that out, Ian Hunter. Defiance Part 1. So maybe there'll be a Part 2. Now we got some new album releases coming out in June. We got a uh, person who I liked for a while. His name is Ben Harper. He kind of reminds me of, uh, believe it or not, Cat Stevens a little bit. Uh, He's got an album out June 2nd, Wide Open Light. We got a new Foo Fighters, believe it or not, album. But here we are. And I didn't really, I don't really know much about it, like who's playing drums or maybe they have guest drummers. Well, I think Taylor may have helped in some of the songs because they've been recording for a while, but... Okay. I'd, I'd have to look further into that myself. Yeah. And then we got um, another band I've been following for a little while. 
called Dream Wife. <laughs> and this title, I like, Social Lubrication. <laughs> I'm going to play that song loud and maybe I'll find my dream wife. Yeah. Yeah, they're um, three girls. Kind of hard, hard, hard. Not like, not like heavy metals, like, but just hard rock, kind of. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we got Kelly Clarkson, mm -hmm. who I love. Uh, June 23rd, Chemistry. And there's a couple uh, singles she put out. It's interesting because the songs start out very... Like Kelly Clarkson, I wouldn't say would do anything that's, that's raw vocals, but you know, she has a great voice. Mm -hmm. But it's very isolated in the beginning. And then the chorus, of course, has other singers with her. But I thought that was interesting. Both songs are kind of start out slow. You can hear her voice like really clear and yeah there's nothing else not much going on other than her voice uh, so it's a little different than some of the stuff she's put out you know recently mm -hmm. or in the past and jeremy i know you're a big fan of this guy i mean who isn't michael bolton <laughs> so he's got a new album called magnet spark of light he's recorded over 20 studio albums in his career and uh he returns to his songwriting roots with his first ever album of all original songs. And it's co-written by Michael and some of today's most successful writers, producers, and artists. So he didn't write the songs entirely. Okay. Check that out. Michael Bolton. If my list is about 100 deep, that one will probably be at number 96 or 97. Yeah. We'll get it on there. Okay, now we're going to talk about Def Leppard. I've liked Def Leppard, I'd say, since the early 80s, before Jeremy was born. Yeah. But we're going to tell you a little bit about Def Leppard first. I've liked them since grade school, so... Okay. I, had, I found them pretty early. So, uh, we're going to start with, we'll tell you the current members. We've got Joe Elliott, the singer. Rick Savage, on bass. Rick Allen drummer phil collin not phil collins yeah. lead guitar and vivian campbell he's the guitarist and he was a member of dio in mm -hmm. the late 80s mm -hmm. past members we got the original drummer tony kenning he was fired in 1978 by original the very short term <laughs> drummer yeah before <laughs> they I think it was right when they were about to record their very first album. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know. I think was, it was Bring on the Night. Or something I don't even like know if he was on the very first album. but. And, uh, well, we're going to talk about the documentary. Because in the documentary, it shows him, he gets in a fight, it seems like right at the very beginning when they start recording. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think he recorded any songs with them. Then we got Pete Willis. He was the guitarist. He was fired in 1982 and replaced by Phil Collin. And Steve Clark, he died in 1991, unfortunately, at the age of 30, yeah. only 30, from alcohol poisoning. Great guitarist. And he was, he was on um, their albums up to Hysteria, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 91. Yeah, definitely. So they were formed in 1976 in Sheffield, city in South Yorkshire, England. They established themselves as part of the new wave of British heavy metal movement of the early 1980s. 
their greatest commercial success came between the early 1980s and early 1990s. And their first album was 1980s on through the night. Yeah. So Jeremy and I just watched um, <laughs> this documentary mm-hmm. from 2001 called Hysteria. Yeah. I think it's the Def Leppard story or something like that. Yeah. I don't think it was great. I mean, we're talking it was done 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was they. It's not, and it's not a documentary. Documentary. It's a. I think they call it a docudrama. Yeah. Where there's people playing, uh, the various real people in the band. It starts out with uh, Rick Allen. He uh, was in a car accident. And if you're not real familiar with Def Leppard, well, you probably notice that the older photos, he has two arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the later photos, he has one arm. Yep. So it starts out with uh, the car accident. And I don't know, this was made, this was made by VH1. Yeah. And uh, it just seemed kind of like a Lifetime movie. Yeah, it was weird. <clears throat> it starts with a car accident, but then it like goes back, what, seven years or something. Yeah, then we go back. <laughs> And the movie doesn't cover, it only covers up to pour some sugar on me. <laughs> yeah, up to like 1990, basically. Because they don't actually show Sean Clark. Steve Clark. Sorry, Steve Clark passing away. Yeah. They just kind of talk about it, and then at the end of the documentary... Yeah, they don't even to... go into... They they kind of hint, you know, he does have a drug and alcohol problem. He goes to the hospital. Um, he's got some. He's got liver disease going mm-hmm. on yep. but they don't even at the end they show what they've been up to or what they are beyond the documentary right and they just mention that steve clark died mm-hmm. i i'm pretty sure i saw it when it came out i wouldn't say the guys that are playing them look exactly like them uh michael anthony hall <laughs> uh if you know him from you could know him from uh, Pretty in Pink. You can know him from Halloween. Jeremy just met him, I think, last year. National Lampoon's Vacation, the original. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rusty. Yeah. And he's wearing, he's playing Mutt Lang, the producer. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, we talked about Mutt Lang and when we talked about Brian Johnson and ACDC. It's funny because in the documentary, he's telling Joe Elliott to go a little... A little higher mm-hmm. with his voice, yeah. And I think he did. He did that with Brian Johnson, yeah. And it was um, bringing on the bringing on the heartbreak. Heartbreak, yep. yeah. I mean, overall, I give the documentary like, I guess I give it a five. Yeah, you know, I enjoyed the story they were trying to tell. It just, I don't know, it wasn't very well done, like you said. I yeah, mean, they explained some of the stuff that was going on, but I think a lot of the music was straight from the studio recorded album if not all of oh it. yeah I don't, I don't think they sang anything yeah they're not know. singing in it they're they obviously got the rights to the songs to put in which which is incredible to do so the band must have you know given the go-ahead or the record company right one of the things that stood out to me about the movie was when you're seeing them perform at the concerts Felt like they were trying to use real concert footage of crowds and uh-huh. mix it into the movie, and it didn't mix yeah. well at all. <laughs> <laughs> like the lighting was way off, and it was just very weird. 
but it, the documentary, I think, uh, I think that I think the acting from the band members was okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't nothing award winning, right? But some of the other actors that when Rick Allen's in the hospital, the doctor had these. He only had a couple lines, but <laughs> he looked like he was out of a horror movie, and he was gonna—he was thinking of something devious. To, I don't know. It was weird. The looks on his face, and the music. I think it was towards the end. It was almost at one point. It was almost like Disney music. It like, was like background music. They were—they just performed "Pour Some Sugar on Me." Yeah, and they're—you know—welcoming back Rick Allen. Mm-hmm. After his surgery and only having one arm, and yeah, you hear just like this lifetime soft sentimental music over top of a cheering audience that never went away. Mm-hmm. But you also yeah. hear Joe Elliott talking perfectly clear with this cheering audience yeah, that never yeah. stops her in the talk. Yeah. It was so the editing weird, was bad. Very weird blend. I think it was just I feel it was just a watered down documentary. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't find my quote from Joe Elliott, but I know he pretty much said it, w- it was a piece of shit. Oh, wow. In a documentary. And it, it was a recent interview because with the, like the Elton John Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, he just feels that there could be a better documentary now done right. about the band. Right. And maybe past hysteria adrenalizes a good album too yeah we can get you know more into get actors that look a little bit <laughs> more like them so basically we we weren't crazy about the documentary if you guys haven't seen it and you're Def Leppard fans you, I, I don't know if I'd even recommend watching it but that's all there is right now I think there was a behind the music I don't think there's any other Def Leppard documentaries well, I know there. that Rock of Ages movie came out and that was a way to showcase some of their music, but I don't think it oh, told okay. really the, a story about the band or anything. Yeah. So back in 1983, I was really into Def Leppard, uh, amongst other, you know, bands, but it was one of those bands that was kind of a fun band to listen to. I don't think back then I thought of it as like a guilty pleasure band. It wasn't a band that you, if you said you like Def Leppard, people would be like, Ooh, Def Leppard. Maybe some people would, I don't know. But I didn't really listen to a lot of like, I didn't really like Poison and to compare, I'm comparing other bands to them, but, uh, Motley Crue, I, I think I liked a couple of their songs. Mm-hmm. But Def Leppard was just interesting to me. And the sound, the drums were in your face, the guitar licks, the interesting lyrics. Mm-hmm. And there was a concert. I had tickets to a concert, 1983. And when um, Mike and I, who was Matt, when Matt and I talked about... Uh, we were talking about David Bowie and how I was in the hospital in 1983. And I might have talked about it before, but I had an eye accident. And I'm not going to go into detail, but I had, I couldn't, it was during the, it was uh, right at the end of my, it was right at the end of my junior year in high school. And I really couldn't go outside. I wasn't supposed to go out in the sun. 
I had like five or six stitches in my eye and I had a, to wear a patch, but I had tickets to see Def Leppard. You're a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had tickets to see Def Leppard and I was going with Matt to the concert I was supposed to. And the doctor advised me not to go because someone could elbow me in the eye. <laughs> and Matt and I just talked about this the other day and, uh, the guy would have had to have been, I'm not very, I'm like Jeremy's, I'm probably like five foot eight right, around there. Right. You know, the guy would have had to be I don't know, six foot five or I don't know, to have an elbow in the vicinity of my eye. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a, you know, we're not talking about a hardcore band where there's going to be a slam dancing and all that. <laughs> After talking to Matt the other day, he told me something I didn't know is that he said there were like too many people there. It was outside. It was at the Allentown Fairgrounds. I actually have the date. It was Monday, June 27th, 1983. Said it was like 90 some degrees, but there were so many people that were packed in there. He said he was having trouble breathing. He thought he was going to pass out. So maybe it was a good idea <laughs> that I didn't go, Yeah, you know, with all those people. But I just want to go down this list because this is interesting. This is 1983 and this is the set list I found. There's one song on here I'm surprised with. So we got so we got songs, of course, up to Pyromania. Rock, Rock Till You Drop. That's what they started with. Rock Brigade, High and Dry, Another Hit and Run, Billy's Got a Gun, Mirror, Mirror, Foolin', Photograph, Rock of Ages, Bringing on the Heartbreak, and the instrumental, which I think is on High and Dry, is Switch 625 they played. Mm-hmm. There's a Phil Collins guitar solo. Yes. Let It Go. There's a Steve Clark guitar solo. Mm-hmm. And then song Wasted, Stage Fright. And they end it with Traveling Band by, by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yep. I mean, maybe that's the song they were doing back then. Maybe. Like a cover. I didn't know they did any cover songs. Yeah. That would have been a great show to be yeah. at. Yeah. So let's go into, um, Jeremy and I have our top 10, well, unless you have something. Yeah, I, I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but they released And There Will Be a Next Time live from Detroit, Michigan in 2017. I was okay. at that show. Oh, okay. That's cool. So I actually bought the album and DVD that came out mm -hmm. just to see if I could see myself in the audience, which I couldn't, but <laughs> I just, that was a fun little tidbit. I've seen yeah. them seven times now. I haven't seen them, you know. I I would have it would have been cool to say I saw them in eighty three. Yeah. Uh and that sounded like a great set list. Yeah. But they always put on a great show. I'd gladly go with you if they tour again. It's been actually that's the last time I saw them, twenty seventeen, so <laughs> it's <laughs> it's been six years. I'm due. So Jeremy and I came up with our top ten Def Leopard songs. Yeah. And we're gonna see if we have any that I'm sure we'll have ones that match. Now mine I'm gonna go from ten to one. Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay. So what's your number 10? Number 10 was Switch 625, an instrumental really? song, yes. Okay. My number 10 is off their last album, This Guitar. I don't know why I like this song, but it's with Alison Krauss. So it's off of Diamond Star Halos. 
But it reminds me of the 70s, 80s rock duets, you know, the ballads. Uh-huh. And it's not a, it's not a love song per se, but it's a, I guess it's a, a love song to a, his guitar or something. Yeah. Do you want my next one? That's not beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're drinking water today. Doing a sober show. Oh, one the little off subject, but Jeremy and I met the one and only William Shatner today. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yes. So we had a fun-filled day. 92 years young. Yeah. Uh, my number nine, fittingly enough, is called Nine Lives. Came out in 2008. It's off of Songs from the Sparkle Lounge. Okay. And you may have heard that. I don't remember if it was a... If baseball used it or the NFL used it, but one mm-hmm. of those okay. sports leagues hmm. played that song quite a bit, and I, I got hooked on it, and I ended up enjoying it myself. You know, my thing is that I I know the earlier earlier albums, especially when they came out, mm-hmm. and then I don't know the middle albums, like the album you just mentioned, and I know the last album because I just honestly probably... I didn't forget about them, but I just started getting back into them again. Right. So some of the the albums in between, I don't really know the song, so they obviously aren't on my list. So number nine, I have Kick from Diamond Star Halos. Okay. And it's about a guy who's in, I guess, in love with someone, but he wants to, he feels like he needs to kick, kick the habit. What's your number... What were we, eight? Number eight, yeah. Uh, women off of the Hysteria album. Okay. It's It gets a bit repetitive, but I I just love the, I don't want to say uniqueness of the song, but it was different mm-hmm. for them. So okay. It's one that always kind of, I played over and over again and enjoyed. My number eight is Too Late for Love off of Pyromania. Yeah. That's my number seven. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, great song. It's, I think um, that was one of the ones that we, no, that was um, Rock, Rock Till You Drop, I think. But okay. that's one of those high songs that he had to push mm-hmm. to really kind of get those notes out of there for too late. For yeah, life. and extend the notes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So my number seven is Foolin'. I just love the, the build up to that chorus. I think Foolin' and Too Late for Love are kind of similar. They are. Uh, number six, I have Rock, Rock, Till You Drop off of the Pyromania album. Just a lot of, that's a fun song to me. You know, it's, it's a hard rock, but it's, you know, exactly what it says. Rock, rock till you drop. Just Mm -hmm. have a good time and enjoy yourself. What are we on? Six? Six, yeah. Uh, I have Rock of Ages. Okay. Pyromania. I always, so funny story about that song. That didn't make my list, but I do enjoy the song. I was singing it at karaoke one time. This was years ago. And there's this younger set of girls that are sitting at a table. And it did that beginning that... Whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah. The Offspring also used that on one of their songs. And these girls got all excited that I was about to sing The Offspring. (laughs) And then it's, you know, Mm -hmm. all right. All right. (laughs) And they went from, yeah, to... Uh, we don't even know mm-hmm. this song. <laughs> it was a very, very funny experience. So I just learned the other day when I was researching some of this is that 
I'm like, I'm going to look this up and see what it means. It doesn't mean anything. Really? I thought it was German or something. Mutt Lang was tired of them saying one, two, three, four. And he came up with this. And then they put it in this song. Yeah, all right. That's what he said instead of one, two, three, four. Interesting. But that's not him saying. I don't, well, we don't know who sang it in the beginning. Right. It could be Mutt Lang. Okay. I couldn't find that out. Interesting. Number five. Here's a unique song for you. Saturday Night, High and Dry. <laughs> off of the High and Dry okay. album. This was one of those. It's just a different. It's like a raw sounding song. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah. It was something that it wasn't all the high notes and all the you know, explosive drums and guitar. It was just a mm-hmm. very simple yeah. Saturday night. I'm high. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just different. And I, I love that song. Mm-hmm. Came in at number five for me. Well, that I think their first two albums were kind of, they weren't as in your face. Right. Like they were, they were pretty, I wouldn't say mellow, but they were a little, they were toned down more than mm-hmm. the other ones. Mm-hmm. My number five is Animal. Good song. I always remember the video. I just watched it recently again. But I remember seeing that video on MTV. It's at a circus. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I noticed, or maybe I did, but forgot. There's a guy riding a rhino in the video. A rhino. That's fun. I don't know if it it had to be real because it's, what, 1980, what was that, 1984, 85, Animal. That was on Hysteria. But Hysteria, they didn't have I think computer. It was 87, I think I could be wrong. Okay. Don't quote me on that. Well, Hysteria was after Pyromania. Yes. You know they didn't have computer-generated stuff back then. Nineteen I never saw anyone ride a rhino before. No, me either. That's a new one. Number four, I have Foolin. I know you touched on this, but I love the build-up in this song as well. It's just a very fun. Mm-hmm. Foolin, you know, yeah. just a lot of you know, breathing to hit the notes and still be able to continue on throughout the song. Mm -hmm. Something that always impressed me about Joe Elliott was he gets very high. Yeah. Maybe not the highest singer in rock, but he's up there and it always sounds so pristine Mm -hmm. throughout the songs. And I know a lot of that is, you know, some studio work and stuff like that. But even when I've seen them live, he sounds very pristine. Okay. So it's one of those things that always kind of stayed with me and full and, Definitely puts his vocals on demonstration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he still um, he still can sing pretty good. Because weren't they on tour with Motley Crue and uh, maybe Poison? It, that might have been the Tesla, Motley Crue, Poison. And they were like the best out of, well, Motley Crue is just Vince Neil. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. And now I just saw something where he, they have, I think it was an article, might have been from last year, that he's lip syncing. There was some kind of, I don't know if it was real or not, but supposedly there was a petition out there (laughs) that they wanted Vince Neil to be removed from the band. Yeah. I don't don't know if it was Nikki Six that was starting it or if it was a fan thing, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I had heard that there's a petition out there to get Vince Neil out from behind doing vocals because they're not happy. Well, maybe he's lip syncing now, (laughs) but he definitely wasn't lip syncing before. No. Because he was just like, I don't know what... You know, if you went on TikTok, you'd see all these videos of them trying to decipher what he was saying. Right. <laughs> so, where are we? I said four was fooling. I don't know if you said your number okay. four. Okay. Armageddon it. Okay. 
from Hysteria. Yep. I just like the the irony of the Arm- Armageddon it, where he says, are you getting it? Armageddon it. I don't know. That song. I always like that song. Fun one. Number three, I have Bringing on the Heartbreak. Okay. This is one that I love. It starts off very simple, you know, calm guitar. And then all of a sudden, you got Joe Elliott starting to get into the song. You got Rick Allen banging the drums, and everything just picks mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're bringing on <laughs> the heartbreak, but the adrenaline is flowing too. So, my number three, I've always loved this song Love Bites. Okay, that's a good one. I just love the hook in this song mm-hmm. where the, and again, the build up to the chorus. But it just always got me where it says, I don't want to touch you too much, baby, because making love to you might drive me crazy. I don't know that part. And everybody was making love back then. Actually, the 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. there's was a lot of making love. But no, that, to be serious, the, uh, it's, it's got what I call a hook. That hook, that, that melody in there. Mm-hmm. And I even played it for my wife the other night. Because she's not really into Def Leppard, but she remembered that song. She's like, yeah, that's, that's, that is really good. <laughs> it's still good. Yep. Uh, number two, I have the song Now off of the album X. Okay. I remember this is one of the first times I was going to see them when a new album had come out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got it the first day it came out. And there were a couple of albums off the song that I considered for the list. Ultimately, they didn't make it. But this one, I really enjoyed because it was just something different for them. Okay. It's a deeper sounding Joe Elliott. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, belting out the high notes. And I just loved the um, sound yeah. of the song mm-hmm. as well as the lyrics. I yeah, I don't know that. So, Well, my number two is Bring It On The Heartbreak. Yep. Now, this was the first song that I think I ever heard from Def Leppard because... Z95, that was our local radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played that. I, I'm trying to remember if I had the High and Dry album before Pyromania, and I'm thinking I did. I'm thinking I went, because I started buying albums back like in 76, so I know I, I probably went out and bought this mm-hmm. album. Because I know most of the songs on this, this album, uh, and I remember that the cover and all that. I don't have the album anymore, but, but that was the first song and I still love that song. Um, but there is one song I love more than that one. That, yeah. So Bring It On The Heartbreak was my number two. Okay. My number one, Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love Rocket. It's one of my favorite songs. When they perform it live, it's a lot of fun because mm-hmm. they typically build up to the song. They don't yeah. just jump right into it. It's, it's a slow burn. Where mm-hmm. it ultimately gets there. Yeah. But that's also off of the Hysteria album. So that was, that's my number one. Now my number one, I know you're probably going to say is overplayed. Well, neither of us have listed like their two biggest hits yet. So that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the one song I don't have on my list and Jeremy doesn't that I absolutely, I can't stand now is pour some sugar. Yes. For me. I can't stand it. And Jeremy was hinting at, and I knew it was probably that one. Yep. I was going to say it was like a, like a condiment. It's not, sugar's not a condiment, but I was going to say, is, is it sweet? <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to. I don't know. That song's just, 
I don't feel it's for for me or for guys for no. some reason. Yeah. It's just a, it's a sexual song, but I think it's for the ladies. Yeah. And it was the most overplayed. I, I think I still hear it sometimes. Oh, for sure. So my, okay, my number one is Photograph. I was going to take a guess that yeah. that would be it. Because I simply love Pyromania. Now, I, I played this, I was trying to think of what I, else I was listening to in 83. I think it would have been like U2, maybe. I, I don't know if I got into U2 in 83. ACDC? Yeah, ACDC. But I'm trying to think of other... This is more... I think it was more harder than some of the other stuff. I'm just trying to think of other stuff I listened to that wasn't as hard. Mm-hmm. Not that this was like, you know, heavy metal or anything. But like I said before, it, it, it always seemed fun. I love the guitar sounds in these songs and just the fun lyrics that it, it was a band like pyromania i put in the cassette and just like if you're having a bad day you know even still just forget about things and and i can listen to except pour some sugar on me that was that on pyromania i think it was yeah that was pyromania yeah that's one song that <laughs> all the other songs and also hysteria i love that album the interesting thing about Def Leppard, so you mentioned about them being hard, and, you know, that was different kind of back in the time. They're one of those rare bands that, at one time, they were considered hard rock. Yeah. And they were considered metal. And mm-hmm. they were considered glam. They <laughs> were considered pop, punk, mm-hmm. classic. Yeah. They're one of those rare bands, because they've made it successfully now, for what, six generations? I thought you were going to say six decades. Six decades. That's <laughs> yeah. the word I'm looking for. I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it. Six decades. The 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. No, I think it's four decades. But, well, from the 80s to now is four. From like 80s, 83. 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. So, yeah, four and a half, okay. give or take. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're one of those rare bands that, you know, you didn't hear about them separating and getting back together or taking years off mm-hmm. even when rick allen had his accident they still put out music in a pretty consistent timely mm-hmm. manner i think a lot of songs i think they've uh stuck around or maybe i don't think they're like over the last 20 years i don't think people probably know who they are that's the sad thing. Um, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of little kids at the concerts. Okay. I mean, I, I'm thinking, like I mentioned with Pour Some Sugar, I mean, like how I hear it. So maybe just hearing it in a TV show or a movie, it keeps them going, you know, because right. they, they had a lot of, they had a lot of hits and, and that leads us into um, some stuff that you might not know about Def Leppard. Nice. Six things. Hopefully I have six here. Hopefully. I got one for you that I bet you don't know. (laughs) I know you dislike the song, so this is going to maybe eat away at you. Okay. But one of my favorite songs by them that they cover is that song Rock On by David Essex. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I don't like this. I know you don't. (laughs) Rock On. Yep. That's the one. I despise that song. I know you do. As much as Sailing. (laughs) <laughs> that never took me away. So number one, the name, which we kind of saw in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Joe Elliott proposed the band adopt a new name. 
forget what the name was. Atomic they said. something. Atomic, atomic Mass, maybe? Yeah, Atomic Mass or something like that, yeah. He suggests they call themselves Def Leppard. Now, it says a name he came up with. Uh, no, yeah, it was him in the documentary. Okay. Yeah. The, this band was looking for a new singer and guitarist. Right. And, and he said he played guitar. Yeah, again, in the documentary, he could play guitar a little bit, but then he starts singing. I think he's at his house. Yeah, he's at his house. Mm-hmm. And the guys from the band are there. And once they hear him sing, they're like, well, we, need a, we really need a singer, too. You know? So that's why he became the singer. Because they didn't think he was a great right. guitar player. So he came up with the name while writing reviews for imaginary rock bands in his English class. He was always dreaming about forming a band in school. He was creating song lists, band logos, and band names while his classmates were studying. So the drummer, Tony Kenning, suggested that they should alter the spelling of the name to Def, D-E-F, Leopard, instead of D-E-A-F and the proper spelling of Leopard, Mm -hmm. in order to seem less punk rock. They seem to hate punk rock, by the way. Yeah, they did. According to this documentary. (laughs) It also said that the name was a reference to the band Led Zeppelin. I don't know if that's true or not. But maybe that's how Joe came up with Def Leppard off of kind of, I don't know, Led Zeppelin, Def Leppard, you know. (laughs) Right? Sure. I don't know. Number two, um, we got Tony Kenning, original drummer unexpectedly left the band in the beginning of 1978. Now, it says the mother of Rick Allen, Rick was 14 at the time, was the only one to actually respond to the ad uh, placed by the band. Wait, this doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, the, okay, never mind. Rick Allen we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, not even drinking. <laughs> okay, so the mother of Rick Allen, and Rick was 14 at the time, was the only one to respond to the ad placed by the band looking for their new drummer. And it was Leopard Loses Skins, was the ad's headline. (laughs) On his 15th birthday, November 1st, 1978, Rick Allen joined the band and eventually dropped out of school. That kind of worked out, except for losing the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes sacrifices, though, sometimes. Uh, Number three, their first concert. It was in 1978 in a high school gymnasium in their hometown of Sheffield, England. It's said that only six people showed up. Uh, the band smuggled beer into the event by hiding it in the drum kit. Nice. Okay, number four, uh, new guitarist, Phil Collin, former guitarist of the glam rock band called Girl, was called Girl, was hired by the band in 1982 as a replacement of former guitarist Pete Willis. Pete Willis had to be released from the band because of his excessive alcohol and drug abuse. Okay, pour some sugar on me. It's one of Def Leppard's most famous songs. It said that Joe Elliott came up with the title for the song while he was sitting in his apartment in London. He asked producer Mutt Lang for some sugar. See, I don't think this is true, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Only because, now I don't know in the documentary if everything's true in there or not. But the timing of this, because I, I knew this before we watched the documentary, it doesn't seem like they were in the same place at the same time. Okay. But I don't know when this song was first written right. either. Right. So anyway, he asked producer Mutt Lang for some sugar for his tea. Lang replied by asking whether Joe wanted one lump or two. 
<laughs> Sounds made up. Joe said, I don't care, just pour some sugar on me. And the rest is history. So this story also varies according to different sources. Okay. That sounds a little made up. Interesting. One lump or two, because he says that in the song. And then they asked Joe about the title. He says, it's not for me to say, it's for you to interpret. So who knows? Pour some sugar on me is the metaphor for whatever sexual preference you enjoy. That's Hmm. what Joe said. Interesting. Okay. And number six, one of the most unique accomplishments of the band was achieved on October 23rd, 1995. They entered the Guinness Book of World Records by playing three 45-minute shows on three different continents. Oh, wow. They were in Tangier, Morocco, London, and Vancouver, Canada. And they decided to do this to support the album, which was Greatest Hits, 80 to 95 called, I think it's called Vault. Not to be confused with Gene Simmons. (laughs) Vault. So those are six things you may or may not know about Def Leppard. And then lastly, I have some books to check out on the band, none of which I've read. (laughs) But in case you need something to read this summer, we got definitely the official story of Def Leppard. This is, I don't know if this is, who this is by, this book. Because it says by Leopard Deaf. <laughs> I have a question mark after that. This came out... Oh, this is coming out June 13th. Okay. 240 pages, $40. Uh, offers fans the most personal and comprehensive record of Def Leppard's history to date. Definitely the official story of Def Leppard is narrated by the band in their own words, illustrated with photography and memorabilia from the Def Leppard archives. So this sounds like it's... Uh, Something they put together. Right. I don't know why it says leopard deaf. Maybe they're just being funny. Maybe. Then we have the, this life book <laughs> on Def Leppard. Their incredible 45-year journey. Uh, this came out in 2022. 80 pages. Okay. $13. This one-of-a-kind special edition tells the band's remarkable story through extraordinary photographs and sharp storytelling by superb rock music writer Alan Light. And I noticed on the cover, it says, includes the story of Pour Some Sugar on Me. Yeah. But we just told you that. <laughs> Maybe there's a different story. Maybe. And then we have the book by Tony Kenning, the original drummer. My Time with Def Leppard and Other Bands. Uh, came out May 14th, 2021. Now, Tony, was, remember, Tony wasn't in the band that long. So how right. many pages do you think this book is? Uh, 20. <laughs> 69 pages. <laughs> It's fifteen. It's only $15. So he was a founding member, original drummer, explains the origins of the band from school kids to when he departed from the band. And it also details what happened as he parted company with Def Leppard and what he did afterwards. Then we have Adrenalized, uh, Life, Def Leppard, and Beyond by Phil Collin. Ooh. And this is one I would probably read. I could say. That would jump out to me. Yeah. And this is May 23rd, 2017. This came out 272 pages, $15. I'm getting these from Amazon, prices from Amazon. Might be able to go on eBay or something. I don't know. <laughs> Relevatory, redemptive, and wild juicy, that's from Rolling Stone, memoir from the lead guitarist of the legendary rock band Def Leppard. First ever book, I guess, written by one of its members, mm. chronicling the band's extraordinary rise 
to superstardom and how they maintained it for three decades. Then we got, I got two more. I got something to say. Collections, recollections, and personal reflections <laughs> about Def Leppard. I was hard time talking. From the creator of the Def Leppard fan site, The Lep Report. Okay. October 15th, 2021, 307 pages, $16. Book includes 37 chapters all about Def Leppard. Features in-depth write-ups on the band's studio albums and single releases. Plus never-before-told personal stories and never-before-seen pictures. Okay. That's from 2021. This was the most interesting. This is the last book. And I'm not making this up. It's the Def Leppard cookbook. <laughs> the complete cooking... I don't know how this person got away with putting Def Leppard on this, but I don't think they have anything to do with it. Okay. Because this is the title, The Complete Cooking 20 Recipes Def Leppard Will... 20 Recipes Def Leppard... See, the way it's worded, I, will you will ever want to make pa paperback. Okay? Okay. By Elijah Evans, August 8th, 2021. 44 pages, $20. It says, are you curious about Def Leppard, which is an English rock band formed in 1977? Are you a real foodie who is into cooking and craving for fresh and creative recipes? If your answer is yes, Def Leppard cookbook is definitely what you've been looking for. Uh, yeah, maybe I don't think it's endorsed by them. Maybe it's the band's food selections. Maybe, maybe this guy was a cook. Yeah. For them backstage, right? I don't know. Okay, so I think that's, I think that was all we had. <laughs> so thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if you want to email us, it's no good music podcast at gmail dot com. Thanks for listening, and you'll hear us later. You've been listening to No Good Music. Today's interview was produced and edited by Rob J. Lilly and recorded via Zoom at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. 